series is sponsored by the British Army Innovation Team. This team is set up to encourage and facilitate innovation across the Army and supports wider defence initiatives too. One of their projects, the Army Battle Lab, is due to open this year in the southwest of England. If you would like further information about this project, why not get in touch directly with the team via the show notes? Welcome to the Swavel Room podcast series, which focuses on defence's language of change. This series seeks to explore some of the key ideas about change. What does it actually mean to innovate? Are we less adaptive and agile than in the past? What does it mean to empower? And most importantly, why is any of this different from what has gone before? This series aims to understand what we mean by some of those defence buzzwords we keep hearing over and over again. Over the next few weeks, look forward to hearing from a whole host of different people from the military, the academic world, industry and also the sporting world to understand their views on this language of change, which has dominated military conversations for decades. On this week's podcast, we're delighted to chat to Colt Callahan. Colt is a Royal Marine and currently works in the Royal Navy's digital service team, which is exploring how data will support the future commando force. Colt, a mortarman by trade, was awarded the top student in the inaugural Percy Hobart Fellowship course last summer and currently focuses on understanding how a variety of digital skills and other methods can improve his work in the Royal Navy. Good morning. We're going to start with the same question that we ask all of our guests. Defence is full of buzzwords. If you had to advocate for one of those buzzwords, what would it be and why? Probably as much as it is uh, the go-to and overused word, it would probably be agile. I think that if we, we fully embrace the, the iterative loop of design, develop, deploy and review from everything to our, our procurement to information exchange requirements, right down to training and exercise plans, I think there's a, a, a really large scope for change and improvement in, in about all of our processes. Colt, you recently completed the Percy Hobart Fellowship. Most of our listeners won't have heard what that initiative is about or what it involves. Could you explain it? Okay, so last year during the summer, a new incentive or initiative started up within the Royal Navy. It was uh, the Percy Hobart Fellowship. It took 20 people from across the Naval Service, including Royal Marines, Royal Navy and RFA, and injected them straight into startup companies for three days a week for 12 weeks. And the other two days a week, we were learning all different things from design thinking, agile, how to take part in stand-ups and lead scrums. Went on to this year, it's been expanded further to, I think it was 40 people in the, the new cohort, which includes people from the RAF and from the US Navy as well. This took people into a range of different startups across mostly London, but the entire UK. Obviously, it was over the, the lockdown period, so we, we didn't get to go and, and meet, although some people did towards the end of it. People took part in everything from pricing to web design and development, all the way to pitching for their company's next runway. So people were in the in the cohort that I was in were, were the lead on the funding for the future of the companies that they were in. So there's a lot of interesting work and very different across everyone's experience. That's very different to uh, your day job of being a Royal Marine. How did you how did you get involved in that? What what drew you to that fellowship? So the sort of last year, I, I actually had my notice to leave in because I was unhappy with what I what I'd been doing with work. I didn't feel that any of my skills were being valued and that they were getting the most out of what I, I could do. But I started to do the, the J-Hub coding scheme and realised that there was an appetite within military for 
upskilling people and, and using these new digital skills, albeit that it would probably come in slowly, but there was an appetite for it. Since completing the fellowship, I'm in a, a completely different role. So I'm working within Navy Digital Services on the Literal Strike data team. So we're trying to look at the information exchange requirement for the future commando force. So what data needs to be sent across the battlefield to where and how. So be that maybe somewhere back on in the UK, the CEO of 40 wants to see live camera footage from an exercise or an operation going on at the other side of the world, how that that data will get back, be it from over satellite or could it go back to one of the the literal strike ships, the LSDAs, and then be sent back to the UK? Or would there possibly be uh, an ops room on one of the ships where all of the data will be fused into a, like a common operating picture? So that's a completely different role than I'd, I'd ever been within. In, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah it's, it's very different. But I mean, how do you, do you think there's there's value in, in the role you had as a, as a Royal Marine first? And the insight that gives you when you're when you're trying to bring those two things together, I think that's mostly where my my value came to the team. So on the team, there's myself, a warrant officer, Royal Marines, who is the the product, the service owner for the whole LSDT, and then there's four other civilian contractors: a technical architect, a service designer, a business analyst, and a user researcher, and. I feel like they, they've made quite good use of me to fully understand what the FCF is and how, what it all entails. Coming from six months ago, they were complete civilians and never really had any military experience or understanding. And now they're pretty clued up on, on everything that's going on. And um, so what, if we go back a step to, your, to while you were in your placement, what, what, sort of, what sort of skills did you learn while you were there and, and how did you see things done differently to how they're done in service? Probably one of the, the simplest and, and easiest things that I think that could be brought across to the service would be something like the, the daily stand-ups. So it kind of happens in the morning where you go down in a three-line whip and have a nominal and you get talked, you get told what's going on roughly throughout the day and what's been on the MEL for the week. But I feel like this is something that could happen in one of the troop offices, say in a, in a fighting company. In the troop office, the, the sergeant, troop boss and the, the juniors could go into the room prior to, to the morning nominal call for the rest of the trip, figure out what they need to do for the day, what they did yesterday, any blockers from the day before and how to take it forward in like a sprint plan. So say two weeks of an MEL is a sprint plan and you know what you need to get done in that two weeks, but you don't actually have a, an MEL of what is exactly happening each day. So it's more, there's a buzzword, agile. <laughs> well, you know, more evidence for why it's a good pick right at the start. But how long, you know, this daily stand-up you call, how long would that take? Daily stand-up in the team I'm, I'm within is 30 minutes just because we have quite a lot of technical detail to go into. But if, I, if I'm imagining it within a trip off, it's taken 10, no more than 10, 15 minutes uh, prior to turn two for the, the rest of the trip. Yeah, it sounds like a it sounds like a valuable thing to bring back across. And what did you what did industry get from you? Uh, they... I think the oh. industry was surprised what they got from. Obviously, if you're imagining someone coming from just the Royal Navy, you you probably don't know what their role is. And most of us going into it, we're getting imposter syndrome because we didn't know what we could offer industry really at all. We were thinking, you know, are, are these people going to expect us to, to be able to just start writing 
programs for them and, and stuff like that. And I know a lot of people had that worry. I think industry might have been surprised for me because I actually did quite a lot of, I did all of the J-Hub coding scheme and I was trying to, to self-teach myself a lot of coding for like the six months beforehand. So I was able to get straight into web design for them. I was doing pricing, which was quite weird for me. I didn't know that that would actually be a thing, but I was helping them understand the doing market research and competitor analysis to then write a program that would like compare the other industry competitors and create pricing based on their pricing models to give us the best value for the product. Uh, startups have a unique approach to to business and to wider activity. I think you know they're often talk, you you mentioned agile at the start. I think people often speak about the the speed at which startups work. Do you, do you think defense is likely is ever likely to be able to exploit you know the, this sort of approach? Is are we too big? Are we able to take some of the lessons on from what you've learned? I think in in certain parts of defense, these things definitely will be. Able to come forward obviously whenever you're doing something like building an aircraft carrier and getting the policy and funding for that it has to be waterfall in in some cases in most cases but on the lower level teams within troops sections companies this is from obviously a fighting soldier background not sure about logs and and other sides but i definitely feel like you could implement a lot of the the thoughts processes behind the agile methodology within like fighting soldier landscape be that the, the stuff i talked about like stand-ups i think that's that's definitely something that should and and really has to come in to keep i'm thinking of fcf but potential future army moving forward as well are there any other examples you can think of i do think there is space and roles that need to need to come in the future of uh defense-wide each each service there needs to be development rules so that if on the front line applications start to go go down and go wrong or need small tweaks so say the atac platform that the the raw marines are, are trialing at the minute the android tactical awareness kit if that needed small tweaks to the the user interface or if it needed uh, a new report card or crypt card plug-in built I, I feel like there should definitely be roles within the armed forces that that's that would do that instead of it being sent out to a civvy company for hundreds of thousands to build a, a tiny iteration oh you mean as in like having the ability within house to to do it essentially be able to innovate ourselves so we we've got something that we can then quickly change rather than having to go outside and get them to change it for us yes 100 percent. yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, you know, I'd be interested to see if you, you agree with this, but we, we feel comfortable, I think. So, either, you know, the first company or troop that you worked for probably had its own standard operating procedures, its own, you know, SOPs that, you know, a soldier carried this here and that there, stacked up in this way before it went into a building, that sort of thing. We feel really comfortable generally with making little changes like that. But I feel like say we got something like the ATAC, the tactical awareness system you're talking about, making a change to a report that you'd send on that because it involves a computer, we would feel like we couldn't change that. Do you think that's, is that something that you recognize? Uh, yeah, I think that as soon as, as soon as something is digital, people think that they, they can't change it, even though it really 
it's honestly is easier to change something digital than something physical and to change a mindset of how people work. So yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, we hear a lot in defense about going digital, whether that's the army's digital backbone or the wider approach to exploiting digital narratives. What does this actually mean? Will defense get better from exploiting all things digital, in your opinion? I think it will get better, and I think it already is getting better by embracing and exploiting digital, be it from even really small things. Like whenever I was up at Clyde the other week, there was a Tanoid system, and right beside it, there was the book of all the, the templates of what you'd read out in the on the Tanoid, albeit with different times and different small details. But it's... It, it looks like it's been there since the 60s. And even small things that, that they were talking about was coming in was just so, having an iPad beside it that you click one of the templates and it will read out the tannoid, the, the template tannoid that, that had been sitting there in an old booklet for, for years. Apart from that, yeah, whenever it gets to bigger and, and better things, digital, Royal Marines going to ATAC, the amount of situational awareness that that will provide not every man i'll say it has to see that because that might take a man looking down at his at the screen instead of looking up at his at his arcs there's certain people within every team within the fcs concept so section commanders sorry team ic's are going to be called now they'll have the situational awareness to look at to make the the best decisions of where to move if it's in a contact they'll be able to see enemy locations their friendly forces locations if it's a troop commander, he might be able to see where he needs to put the FSG better so that they can cover the ground. So that's that's how I'm seeing digital in the future. But there is a lot, a lot more high up stuff that's going on around digital and AI within the Royal Navy and the, the Naval Strike Network of being able to send out autonomous vehicles or sorry, autonomous shipping to carry out a strike or a landing and come back to the, the LSDA. That's quite exciting stuff. I am. Um, I think it's really interesting that people. Well, we, like you say, there's already there's already a lot of small gains that have that have been made, and there are some things that I think we don't even think about. Like most, if you get a, a military, a green fleet, or a hire car, your your MT, your motor transport office has probably also given you a sat nav before you get in that vehicle, which is part of the of the military going digital, uh, using new technologies that we didn't used to use. Certainly, if you're in the UK, anyway, which it isn't, you know, it's not sexy, but being able to move people from one part of the UK to the other easily is has a cumulative gain on the armed forces slowly. Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed since working down in Portsmouth at NDS is that whenever we're booking out cars, it's through NCHQ and their request forms now online. So you can request online instead of uh, filling out the paper format copy. Everything's then sent to your SEVI email address of time that you need to pick it up and stuff like that, which definitely didn't happen at the, the, the previous units I've been at. Yeah, just make things easier. I, I think a bunch of the the vehicles, Army headquarters, you get lots of staff officers do short visits on their vehicles and they're now using electric cars because that's saving the army a fair amount of money and the range of most journeys they do is, is you know, 30 to 50 miles round trips. So you don't need to... You don't need a uh, petrol or diesel powered vehicle to do that. You can do an electric one. Yeah, I didn't even didn't even know they started even contemplating that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. So there are you know there are some small places. We always think about the the 
the big things like you, the stuff you described there with remotely piloted or remotely young ships moving stuff from one place to another. All really exciting stuff. But actually, in the short term, I imagine that a lot of the big gains we're going to make are, are just little things that make make us work a little bit easier, save us a little bit of money here and there. And I think the the work a little bit easier is is part of how you get people on board with with all of this change. If if you tell a bootneck some some big change is coming and it doesn't affect him and it doesn't make his daily life better, he won't care for it. But if something's even just a tiny bit easier whenever he's booking a, a white fleet vehicle to go down on exercise in Sennybridge, that's that makes his life easier and, and he understands it and embraces it better. Couldn't agree more. Uh, so on this podcast, we've already heard from uh, some seniors within Defence who are responsible for delivering some of these change initiatives. But from your perspective, how do you think they're going? And what do you think we could do as an organisation to change quicker? So the unique perspective from within the Royal Marines, I think we're we're getting change and transformation completely right. And I think that's because of the Commando Uniform 20 and the, the change to the Orba and how everything's laid out. So every morning, whenever Royal Marines wake up, they put on their new uniform. They feel different. They feel like change is happening. So it... And a, and a lot of defence change is happening, but people aren't feeling it. And that's because I'm not saying you need a, a new uniform, but the people on the ground at the OR levels, if they're not feeling it, the, the culture and the, the understanding won't push upwards. And the people that are they're reporting to won't feel the change because they see their lads in the same, in the, with the same mor- morale and not, not moving forward. I'm going to move back to talking about you. Cult. So you've yeah. had some amazing, some amazing opportunities with the whole Percy Hobart Fellowship. Uh, I mean, first thing is, would you recommend that to other people? Do you think that's for for everyone, or do you think it's only for a specific sort of person? I don't think it's for a specific sort of person. the The range of people that were were on it were from all different backgrounds uh, and different roles within the entire naval service. So I don't think it's for a specific type of person. Uh, it needs to be, except for someone that's that's driven, because that's what startups uh, require of you which i think's pretty goes across basically anyone in the the military most people in the military are, are, are quite driven the percy hobart yes i would i would advise people to apply for it and try to get on it uh, as well as that the the j-hub coding scheme is an incentive so that you get you can get paid up to 300 pound for doing different modules and learning coding from web dev app development python natural language processing as well as there's two essays on what is it user experience and agile development so I, that's another thing that I'd, I'd highly recommend to people as well if they're interested in, in that sort of thing have you completed all of those different modules yes i've completed all of them over the course of about four to six months at the start of last year i was injured the rest of four or five were deployed to norway so i used made the most of my time that i was back back in the uk sitting in the grots doing my, my rehab it was quite boring so i tried to uh, make the most of my time <laughs> so the majority of the people that were on the, the fellowship with me went into roles bespoke roles for for us coming out that weren't planned at the time but with the help of brigadier cheeseman kind of pushed us into these these different places and that's that's been really useful so two of the service owners at navy digital services are from the percy hobart fellowship i'm also in navy digital services there as well one of the the ables went into the the my navy team 
to help help out with that. So a lot of people went and they like bespoke digital roles across the Royal Navy, and that and that's kind of worked well. I didn't go back to uh, the, the mortar trip that I was in before, but I think it would have been interesting to see if anything would have came across to to the normal day to day life of me within that trip because I never really got to see it. And I guess I'll have to wait until after my draft to see. <laughs> Rank wasn't used at, at all in yeah. the, the 12 weeks, so it was completely rank agnostic throughout. So there was people, myself and another guy, I was a Marine and he was an evil rating, and it went all the way up to Commander. There was a Major in it as well. And yeah, we were just calling each other first names, and I didn't I didn't really grasp until towards the end that how, how high up some people were. But of course, that's the point, isn't it? I think that's why what a startup, one of the strengths that you have in a startup, it's sometimes described as flat and fast. Yeah, uh, this has been really interesting, Cole. I, what do you think? What do you think defence needs to do to better harness the thinking that we get in our junior ranks? I think mostly listen. Be that everyone likes to drip and complain, and a lot of time it's just just mugged off. But in in all them drifts, there, there's reasons for the drips. Sometimes it's just, oh, I, I had a shit exercise and it was raining on Sandy Bridge. That's, that's not a, a relevant drip. But people do voice their concerns about how things could be do, done differently around camps and stuff like that. So I think that's the first thing is if people are listened to a bit more and their feedback's taken on board, that would sit well with the, the, the junior ranks. Opening up opportunities for them to upskill and learn. I know a lot of People within the Royal Marines want to get better at, at personal. They have their own personal objectives of, of learning as well as their objectives of within Royal Marines life. People want to, in this day and age, know how to use stuff like Excel uh, and stuff, stuff like that. And I feel like in the junior ranks, so I was thinking of this before, say at Trip Stripey, he's running the, his Trip Bible in, in the office on, on Excel. A hundred percent, there's at least one per person in his trip at the private or marine rank that knows how to work and use Excel better. And if he's given a bit of responsibility to run run the trip's Bible, that marine or private, that gives that gives him responsibility and that gives him a sense of achievement and, and worth. So I think giving people small amounts of responsibility more often is the, the way to to get the junior ranks on board and harness their their knowledge and finally Cole so you have one silver bullet there's one rule you can change in in the the huge system that is defense something that you think would make the organization better what would you do what would you change to be done at unit level so instead of the entire Royal Marines Future Commando Force putting in their requirement of how many drones and what sort of drones are you unmanned air vehicles that they want to use be that left down to the units themselves having a budget of what they need and what they want to use I think a lot of people would agree with you on that definitely have a, a lot more control and freedom over your own uh, over your own budget well Cole thank you very much for your time this morning thank you very much it was lovely this podcast series is sponsored by the British Army Innovation Team. This team is set up to encourage and facilitate innovation across the Army and supports wider defence initiatives too. One of their projects, the Army Battle Lab, is due to open this year in the southwest of England. If you would like further information about this project, 
why not get in touch directly with the team via the show notes? Remember to subscribe to The Wavel Room through whoever your podcast provider is and comment and give us a rating too. 